0: Welcome to Life Lessons, a ministry of Metro Believer's Church. We pray that you will be encouraged by today's teaching. And now, our guest speaker. Seek Him. He won't be far from us right? So again, we're, we're continuing in the story, and uh, just to kind of summarize, one thing I do just want to make sure we're aware, and Matt kind of iterated this last week, is that we're going through the story, and it is a story version, a bridged version of the Bible, okay? This doesn't replace this. This is basically kind of supporting this. Or, you know, there's in the Bible it's taken the overview story of what God is doing through people and what he, what he started, how things fell apart, how things are being redone, created through a group of people, now through Christ and now through us, right? This is what's happening. Um, but there's going to be things in here that you won't have in here. You know, like the book of Leviticus, it has all these laws, or um, the books of wisdom, which is Psalms, Proverbs, they're not in here. And this is just to contain, again, the story. The goal is that you understand that there is a plan going on. There is a story, and there's always an end to the story, and that your story is fitting into that, right? So again, we're, you'll, we're in different movements. The first movement was the garden, and now we're into what we're speaking in today is the, the movement of the nation. God decides, I'm going to start working through a group of people who can share, uh, represent who I am, show my likeness, share my word, my hope, and then eventually through that people provide even a more specific means of delivering people and bringing them back to Him, and that's Christ. So, and then through the church, and then back to the garden again, where things were. It all started because, uh, this is a good reminder to me and I hope it is to you, it all started because we have a choice. In the garden, we say, well, why did this happen? Why did God let this happen? For us to be lovers of God and for love to be love, be. it has to be a part of the will. You have to decide it. And so the decision was made by Adam and Eve to disregard God, to disobey Him, to believe the lie, and to believe that God didn't love them and was holding out on them. So we always have to have that, that opportunity to say yes or no. And so that decision is with you today, like Ken was talking about. That decision is for you today, yes or no. And ultimately, when things come back to as they are, everyone will have to make the decision. They'll know how to handle their will. They'll understand the truth and uh, be eternally with Jesus. So, but let's, let's pray today. As we're getting into this chapter, this is about the book of Ruth. Let's just pray that God opens our hearts. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you for the story, the story of Ruth. And how you are speaking to us and reaching out to us. Lord, life can be hard, and life can be a big disappointment. There can be some pretty rough things, but in the midst of it, you change things around. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be open to hear the hope and the truth of a God who's pursuing us. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So the question that I believe that we can address today is, uh, ushers are coming up, if you need a handout, just raise your hand, they'll give you a pen as well if you need one. So the question we're asking is, when life is a disappointment and is difficult, can God be trusted? Can we trust God during those times? So we're in the story of Ruth and Boaz, and I'm going to ask for that map to come up. So they were people of God in, in There were Jews living in Judah, okay, so you can see the Mediterranean Sea over here, so this is west, this is east. And uh, there was a famine in the land, and so they decided, we're getting out of here to find some work and to be able to make a living. And so they actually go to Moab, you'll see Moab is over here, not the blue part, but the red part, it's east, and Moab was the land that was just much more arid, more flat, Uh, it was very well known for its uh, sheep and just... Um, shepherding and that type of thing. So that that was what they were known about. And so they go there basically to try to make a living. They leave the promise. And they leave the promised land and they go there. The husband's name is Imelech, The wife's name is Naomi. And they have two boys, right? And those two boys grow up and they marry Moabite women, which was a direct breaking of God's command. God wanted them to make sure that they married within their own community, their own Jewish people married Jews because not that other people were bad, per se, but God wanted to, didn't want them to be worshiping other gods. And that was the tendency. If you married into another family or another nation, um, then you were more prone to <coughs> worship their gods, and God was preserving them that way. So what ha- happens, of course... Naomi's husband dies. The two boys who had married Moabite women, they die. And so all of a sudden you have three widows. The two girls, young women, and then Naomi. And so it's not like it is now today. Women have many opportunities compared to back then. You know, she couldn't go out and get a job. She couldn't go out and get a career. Family was really the sole purpose of a woman. That's why barrenness was so problematic and so difficult for women. It was like, to them at that time, it was like a curse. But it was because it was their full identity. And so she has nothing left. She has no purpose and no value. But she has these girls. She has these girls that she re- refers to them almost like her daughters. And she does. And so she's in a terrible place, Naomi is, and so she speaks to these girls and says, in uh, Ruth chapter 1, verse 12, we're reading, it says, return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. That's how much they liked her, is they wanted to stay with her. I'm too old to have another husband, even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight, and they gave birth to her sons. Would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried that long for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Naomi is really at a low point. Things have gone poorly. I mean, how could they be much worse? She is without hope and is convinced now, not only that, not that God has abandoned her, but that God is outright against her. I mean, this would be a great time for her to think, oh, this whole move out of Israel over to Moab was a big mistake. (laughs) You know, she's thinking, I took the wrong direction. I made the wrong decision. My husband and I, we made the wrong decision here. We left what God promised us. He promised this land to our fathers, and we decided to leave that that this was a big mistake. Or she could be thinking, God is punishing me, punishing us for doing this by my husband dying and my sons dying and now I have these widow daughters or daughter-in-laws. And she could also be thinking, she could be angry at God since she believes that God's against her. Right? How can God, who's, you know, They've gone over here, and they had these daughters in their lives, these, these women who married, and she loves them dearly, and yet God doesn't want them married to her in her family. So she's, she's really in a difficult place, and I, I immediately start thinking of uh, those in families who have kind of mixed families, where there was a marriage that went south, and, and you start questioning, why did I make that decision? Why did I marry that person? Or why did I let this happen? but yet you have these beautiful children. You know what I'm talking about? And it's just like this collision between this doesn't seem right, but yet this seems so right. And this is the place that Naomi's sitting. She has, she has every reason to start feeling bitter and full of regret, right? But God, as we know as the story, is doing something. God is faithful. And what does it mean to be, have faith? It means to be trusting. I encourage you, friends, be trusting the Lord, even in the midst of what seems like doesn't make sense. Life hasn't turned out the way you had hoped or planned, but God is, God is set to make sense of it. Naomi's, Naomi's only hope, remaining hope, is basically to go back to her homeland because the famine's done there. There's food now. At least you can maybe get some of that. And the other thing that she does, what she feels is right, is sends the the girls away. She knows that if they stay with her, they're incredibly vulnerable, just like she is. They have no provision. They're poor. And so she sends them, go back to your families in Moab. You know, there you can can marry a husband again of your own people. You can find protection with your family. Don't be sticking around here. And so they're incredibly vulnerable. There's a lot of tears, a lot of heartache, and the one daughter-in-law goes back to her family, but Ruth, Ruth is the standout here, and she says this in Ruth 1, verses 16 through 17, but Ruth replies, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, even if death separates you and me. So even beyond her unusual commitment, dedication to Naomi, what is it that Ruth is saying? At this moment, Ruth is, you'll notice, she's repenting. She's disavowing her family's gods. Like we said, if you were a part of a nation, gods and deities in that setting were very local. So if you were a part of this group of this family in this region, you worship the God of that area. So just the fact that she's leaving and also she's saying, your God will be my God. She's saying no to these gods and yes to Yahweh. She is repenting. The next thing that she's doing is uh, she's committing. She's committing and devoting herself to God. Your God will be my God. And then also committing and devoting herself to God's people when she says your people will be my people. There's this strong connection, inseparable connection. If you are going to have a thriving, understanding, functional relationship with God, it is never separate from God's people. You cannot thrive and grow alone. It's not how it's designed. You're fooling yourself if you think you can. There's some things that you'll... And the church is messy. We know that. Like Daniel was saying, this is not a perfect church. And no church is. There is imperfection. There's plenty of imperfection. But God has something intended to be working through people. People who are together believing and trusting. We're here for that reason. And so... Notice that she recognizes that. Your people will be my people. The third thing that she's doing is that she's acting in faith. God loves when people are moving out in faith. And Ruth is doing this. She's leaving her own land. She's going as a young woman, going with an older widow who has nothing, going into enemy territory. So Naomi might have been vulnerable, but Ruth is going to be all the more vulnerable. You know what happens when a strange woman walks into a land with, remember this is the time of judges. We just read that last week, where everyone's doing what they think is, what they want to do, what they think is right. It's kind of ruthless here in Israel, and there's wicked men. And so this young woman is going there in enemy territory because she believes that God's going to meet them. This Yahweh is going to, protect them. She is acting in faith. And you see that story a lot. You know, this this acting in faith, like Abraham, he disavows his family gods. He left Ur and went all the way to where he went to. He wasn't knowing where he was going. He just went. He had faith in God. And of course, we know there's other stories about Abraham and how he did all of these things and sacrificed this promised son, or was about to sacrifice, and he was fully assured of God's faithfulness. God loves the people of faith. Loves it when we trust him for things that seem impossible. Remember the, the, uh, the spies who went into the promised land. Twelve of them went in, and two of them in particular had the faith to believe that they could overcome these mountains, or overcome these giants, these people, and that the land was ideal. They had faith, and they were the ones who could go into the promised land. So just like Ru- Ruth, is doing the same thing. She's believing and trusting and putting her hands in, in the Lord's hands, putting her life into the Lord's hands. So they return to Israel, actually right outside of Bethlehem, and Ruth goes to glean. Glean, that's with a G, not clean, but glean It's not a word we use a lot. Um, so what this was is that basically when it was harvest time and, and crop was being cut down, she would go, and when you would do gleaning, you would go and kind of pick up the leftovers, if you will, over the, around the edges and that type of thing. And in fact, God had intended, he, God cares for the poor, God cares for the needy, those who are widows, those who are orphans, and he made it a rule and a law that farmers essentially when you go to harvest, you don't harvest every bit. You leave some of it there for the poor to come. they got to get it themselves, but they can get it. And this, this is what Ruth is doing. She goes and, for Naomi's sake, is gleaning. <clears throat> so she's working in the field, and it happens to be a field of, of a man named Boaz, and he notices her. And what that all means you know what I mean. He notices her. This is a strange woman. She, she obviously hasn't been there before. And so he asks some of the people with him, who is this? And so her reputation is kind of preceding her. It was just saying, well, she is the woman, the Moabitess, Moabitess who came with Naomi. And they know what this means. Naomi's widowed, and this woman from a foreign land has come with her to be with her. And to help her? All of a sudden, Ruth's stock is kind of raised up. It's like, wow, this is impressive. She's making a sacrifice for this woman. So Boaz, knowing this, and he starts fancying her, if you know what I mean. And he starts rigging it and protecting her. He says says to the men, do not touch her, right? Because she's from a foreign land, young woman, vulnerable. I mean, she she looks poor. She's she's." Taggered, you know, clothes and all of this looks quite vulnerable. But so he keeps the men away. And then he tells them, make sure there's extra to glean for her. Because one, he wants her to have enough for her and Naomi. And then secondly, he doesn't want her to have to go to another field and glean where she won't be protected. So Boaz is setting this up to protect her. He sees that her sacrifice was special, that there was something special about her. So Ruth starts collecting all of this and kind of collects a little more and goes back to Naomi and she tells her the story. I, I found this field, I found this plenty, and they were favoring me and gave this to me. And she says, well, who's, who's the person? She says, well, it's Boaz, this man named Boaz. And Naomi's like, really? Boaz, he is one of our kinsmen so, redeemer. So kinsmen redeemer. That's, that's something we should explain a little bit about. What is that? So, the kinsman redeemer is a male relative who, according to various laws of the Pentateuch, had the privilege or responsibility to act on behalf of a relative who is in trouble, danger, or need. So, actually, the Hebrew term goel, this is in your notes, the Hebrew term goel for kinsman redeemer designates one who delivers or rescues or redeems property or person. So one who delivers or rescues or redeems property or person. So what was this? Again, this is God taking care of vulnerable people. God cares for the vulnerable, and he wants to help them. He set it up that the kinsman redeemer was basically taking care of widows and fatherless children. There wasn't life insurance policies. There wasn't government programs to support and to protect those people or to help them. This is what God had set up, that a male relative could take care of a male relative and so and that woman could, could uh, seek, seek out that protection. And this demonstrates God's care, again, for the women, the children, the vulnerable ones and Ruth can now claim Boaz because her husband was a relative to this man the husband that she had married and had passed away so Naomi sees all this Naomi has been around for a while she sees this is God working and she also can see that Boaz has an interest in, has an interest in Ruth that Boaz is in love with Ruth, right? So. She sends her and prepares Ruth. Says, Naomi says, Ruth, okay, I'm going to help you succeed at this. Get ready. You're going to clean yourself up. You've got to wash yourself. You're going to put on your fine clothes. Take off those widow clothes and put on these clothes. And you're going to do this. So, what she sends her out to is this is harvest time. If you could put a picture of the threshing floor. So this is harvest time. They bring in everything that they cut down, and they kind of put it in this circle. And it often it was on a, like on a hill. On the hill because there was often rock, exposed rock from erosion that would be up there. Um, it was an elevated place, and they would drop all of that there, and then they would crush it. And that's why you see this, this horse walking over, and that's a sledge the guy's standing on. It's basically to crush it underneath the rock and to separate the grain out. And then next, they would take it, and you see this guy here. He's got some bad posture. I'm going to talk to him. So you would take this, and you would basically take it and throw it up. And the wind, again, you're up on a hill. The wind would take away the chaff, and what would drop down is the grain. And the grain is what you'd want. And so that's what they have kind of piled in the middle. Now, I say all that to basically say, this is like a year's worth of income, right? Boaz has all of, this, all of these workers. This is his field. And this is like, this is everything that they've been working for. So, when the sun goes down, they aren't leaving. Because somebody's going to come and start ripping off their stuff, right? So, it was typical, even for the landowner, to be out there in the field working, because it's harvest time, there's a lot to do. But also, they would sleep around this thing at night uh, to protect it, protect their investment. And they would sleep... Uh, with their heads at the, basically, if you imagine like spokes on a wheel, the hub, they would sleep with their heads there and their feet out, basically to be ready to protect it. So this is the setup, and Naomi knows these things, and so she sends Ruth in there at night. So let's read that a little bit. So chapter 3, verse 7 and 9. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile, of the grain pile. I think that's funny. So Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man, and he turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? (laughs) He asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Now, this may sound kind of forward, right? Yeah. Sounds risque. You know, I think of the cover of those novels, you know, romance novels, where Boaz has hardly anything on. He's got these big rippling muscles, and there's Ruth just like, ah. So it's not quite like that. She's not propositioning or anything like that. She is actually making a formal request to marriage. By uh, asking him to put the garment over her is basically her request. She is doing what Naomi had directed her to do. She's directly going up to him and claiming him, claiming his, you marry me. <laughs> this is how, this is what was happening. And so we won't go through the details, but his response was, I'm going to take care of this, right? Remember, Boaz is kind of fancying her, digging her chili, you know what I mean? So he's, he's really into this, and he's like, I'm going to take care of this. He's going to handle it properly. And also he refers to her as having noble character. So her her morality here isn't the question. But it's just the the protocol of how the kinsman-redeemer thing would work. But here's the interesting thing we need to note about Boaz. He doesn't say, "Uh, i got to go take this to the elders and um, see if this works out. Or she doesn't have to go through a court to make this for her to execute her rights for him for him being a kinsman redeemer, she's a widow now. She can execute this right. She doesn't do any of that. She doesn't have to because Boaz is eager. He's eager to redeem her. And so, but he does what is right. He's like, I got go to the, I gotta go to the other male relative and explain it to them. He has the first right of refusal. So he goes there and once Boaz started explaining it to him, he's like, yeah, okay. But then he says, you'll also have to marry uh, the daughter of the widow, essentially. And he's like, whoa, 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 I don't don't want that. And it was because he said, note this, and we're not going through it, but he says, I don't want to basically compromise my estate. I don't want to set my estate in danger. So marrying, fulfilling your kinsman redeemer obligation sets you at risk. But despite that, Boaz is like, I don't care. He's willing to risk. In fact, Naomi says this in Ruth 3, 18. She says, wait, my daughter. Naomi knows what's going on. She's like, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. (laughs) She's like, this is on the line, right? Bring it in. She knows that he is not going to settle. He's going to take care of it right away. She knows that he's in love with her. He knows that he's eager to fulfill his kinsman redeemer Uh, obligation. It's not obligation to him. He is privileged to do this, and he's not going to rest. So what do we gather from all of this? I think there's some lessons we can gather from this story that tells us about God and ourselves. First of all, the Lord desires to restore all people to himself. Remember, Ruth is an outsider. She's not an Israelite. She's not due the promises of God. She is a Moabitess, But yet God is bringing her in. He's bringing her into that circle. And there's plenty of other stories in in the Old Testament as well. And of course, the story of the gospel going out to the Gentiles. of God bringing people to himself. People who are not in the in crowd or not, uh, who are outsiders. God welcomes those outsiders. Who are basically like she was. Repentant, committing herself to God, and acted in faith. The second thing I think we learn is our hard times are our greatest opportunities. Well, you say, what do you mean? It's the greatest opportunity for God to show himself. It's the greatest opportunity for us to have faith in God, which is really what he desires. He praised Abraham. He said, even though he said, Abraham, uh, he was made righteous because of his faith, essentially. That God counted it to him as righteousness, <clears throat> so the hard times so again in, in Naomi's situation we made a wrong decision to go to, to move to Moab maybe she thought that again maybe you think I made a wrong decision to moving to this city I should have stayed fill in the blank or I married this person in good hope and I planned that our marriage would look like this but it looks like this or maybe it ended or maybe that career or business opportunity you pursued, and you were for sure God was leading you that way, and it doesn't look like it's so much now. This is the place where is your greatest opportunity. This is where God wants to show up. And you can always ask, this isn't fair. You could always ask, why does this happen to me? You could say, life sucks, or whatever you want to say. I don't know that I could say that word in church, but I did. But that's really where a lot of us feel. And it's, you can really get into, and Matt referred to this last week, you can get into really the, the whys and the hows. Why has this happened? Why is this going on? How am I going to get out of this? How's God going to turn this around? And what you end up in, and I've done this, I've done this so much in my life too, where you end up in this cul-de-sac, never going around and around, never getting anywhere because you keep stuck on that question. And I, I, I found freedom in the story of Jesus when, you remember the blind man, the disciples bring a blind man to Jesus and they said, and they've they've got it figured out, right? They say, Jesus, who sinned? They believe that the man was blind because somebody sinned. Who sinned, his parents or this man? Remember that? And Jesus doesn't answer that question. He says, well actually, actually I shouldn't say that. He did answer the question, but he sidesteps it really. he says, Neither of them sinned. He said, but this has happened that the glory of God can be revealed. Friends, the trash that you go through, the difficult stuff that you're going through, it has happened so that the glory of God can be revealed. Be prepared and expect God to move. Next thing we, uh, we learn is that God blesses anyone who humbles themselves and puts their faith in God. Remember, Ruth and Boaz. Uh, Ruth practiced faith by going into Israel with this widow. (laughs) She's incredibly vulnerable. Who knows what's going to happen to her? Um, And look what happened because of that. Ruth and Boaz had a son who had a son who had a son who was King David. Who had his descendants was our Lord and Savior. This woman who... An outsider who practiced faith in God was blessed this way and is now, she's part of our, our ancestors in faith. Same thing with Rahab, the prostitute. You know what prostitutes do for a living? Okay, I want to answer that. So she's a prostitute, but yet she acts in faith, protecting God's people, and she is Boaz's mother. You see what's going on. God doesn't look for perfection. He looks for humble people. He looks for people who are willing to repent. And Rahab is doing that. Hebrews, later the writers in Hebrews are praising Rahab the prostitute as an example for us about faith. I think that's cool. That's puzzling, but that's cool. Next thing we learn is that God calls us to sacrificial love. Ruth Again, goes into enemy land with his widow. And she could have found a new husband in her own, with her own people. She could have been safe and secure there, but she didn't. She loved Naomi so much that she followed her and sacrificed basically her well-being. Boaz, compromising his own estate for her uh, to fulfill his kinsman-redeemer obligations and to love her. And so he does this sacrifice. Whereas that other... Uh, That other adult in the family, the male, he's like, I'm not going there. I don't want to risk my stuff. Boaz is willing to risk. Boaz is willing to redeem her. I'm going to, on the next point, I'm going to ask the band to come up as we prepare here to close. The last point is, we need a kinsman redeemer. So we too, like like Ruth, we're in, we are enemies of God. We're Moabites, enemies to Israel, if you will. But we're enemies of God, worshiping our own gods. Yes, we don't have little idols or anything like that, but we, in a way, we do end up worshiping other things. It could be fill in the blank, career success, how you look, who you're married to, what school you go to, or... Uh, your children looking awesome and excelling in every way. We have these little gods and God says that uh, He wants to be worshipped. We should be worshipping Him alone. And we may even have some decisions that have turned out to be big mistakes or that were pretty ticked off about. And what we read in this story Ruth and Naomi were in the same situation, but they repented, they committed to God, and they moved forward in faith. And what happened? That was how she met her kinsman redeemer. Friends, you know who I'm referring to. Jesus Christ is like Boaz, he's the one who can fulfill the obligation to provide you that security. Everything that went wrong, He can start to begin to make right. And he's not reluctant. He's not bothered that you came by. He is eager, like Boaz was. He's gonna take care, he's not gonna rest until this matter is set today. Today is the day. The scripture says that today is a day for salvation. Don't be waiting, don't be messing around with life, waiting, thinking you can figure it out yourself. You need a kinsman redeemer, you need your life bring back to value and he does that we've referred to we were singing it earlier today and I just have been thinking about it all week Jesus is eager and he's desperate to meet you he's desperate to be basically that that groomsman that takes you as his bride we we, we were talking about it earlier where he leaves the 99 for the one the one is that precious I believe that there are some ones here today. He is pursuing you. He's taken the risk, like Boaz has. He's taken the risk and is leaving the 99 to pursue you. This is our kinsman redeemer. This is our Jesus Christ. And if you, and what I'm encouraging you to do is to do like Ruth did claim him, tell him, claim him, and say, take your garment and spread it over me. Take it over and spread it over me. The scripture talks about how it's like his wings are over us to protect us and huddle us in. Would you stand with me as we, we pray? Let's just close our eyes be in prayer I just want to recognize if anyone here feels that call to receive the Lord in his redemptive power to welcome you and to help you start make help life make sense if that's you you could just raise your hand just join in this prayer we're all going to pray together Let's just all pray. Lord Jesus, be my redeemer. Spread your garment over me and take me as your kinsman redeemer. So that, Lord, I will be blessed as you desire me to be blessed. I repent, I commit, and I believe in faith that you are my redeemer. I encourage you, friends, as we continue in worship, continue to worship the Lord. We have people on the side here if you wish to pray with somebody about some of the things that God's working on your heart. There's communion table over there. You can have a time just with you and the Lord. Or there's uh, even uh, candles there. It basically, as offering a prayer to the Lord. It, just, it symbolizes a prayer that Goes up to the Lord. So let's continue to worship and experience the If you want to know more about Life Lessons, check us out online at MetroBelievers.com or write to us at Metro Believers Church, P.O. Box 45702, Madison, Wisconsin, 53744.